0: All right, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning to you. Welcome to Seacoast, everyone. If we haven't met, my name is Dom. get the privilege of being one of the pastors here as well. And uh, if you're a guest, welcome. Uh, We are starting a new series, as Ryan said, called Messy Faith. And we're really, at, yeah, woo, come on, it's messy, life is messy, and we're answering the question over the next five weeks of, can I be a Christian and struggle with blank? And there's a reality that we live in, is that for those in Christ this morning that we say, God has saved us, he's forgiven us, he's ransomed us, he's, he's made us a new creation, the old is gone and the new has come, and there's great things to celebrate, and yet there's the reality of that, we haven't arrived yet, though we're new, we haven't stopped sinning. There might be doubt in our life, and we still have relational tensions, and there's the realities that we'll struggle with and say, what does that mean with faith, and how do those, that, those juxtapositions, how do they intersect in our lives, and how do they, they play out, and, and can that be something that coexists together? And I hope the answer is yes to all of those, but we're going to spend some time theologically studying what do those things mean. And today we're talking about one that uh, is... Uh, near and dear to my heart and I'm excited to teach this morning and restart our series off can I be a Christian and struggle with mental health and why I'm excited about that is it's it's a problem that's pervasive in our communities and in our families and already this morning I've been brought to tears hearing people's stories and reading emails already that have come in just from first service of people saying that's me and I'm excited to see what God does in this moment I'll start out of the gate and say I'm not a doctor, I'm not a therapist, I'm not licensed in any way as a mental health professional, I'm not a counselor, but my aim is to point us to the wonderful counselor this morning. And so we'll take a theological dive together that I hope that can answer that question with an emphatic yes, you can be a Christian and struggle with mental health. I also today am excited to remove some of the stigma of talking about mental health. Growing up in the church, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon, really, about mental health. I've heard panels. But the closest I ever heard in church, and maybe you can relate if you've been around the church for a long time, is we've been told to not be anxious. And we see Jesus' response of, do not worry about your life, what you'll wear or eat, but look at the lilies and the birds and so just keep looking at birds and lilies and stop being anxious. We've been told to, to in all things, pray. Don't be anxious, but in all things, pray. And so sometimes we've heard, pray more. And do better, which is actually the worst advice you can give to somebody struggling with mental health. And so I want to remove some of that stigma today. And be as vulnerable and transparent in sharing my story and sharing stories in scripture to remove that stigma, to maybe clarify some bad theology that we might have. And again, come to that answer. Can you be a Christian and struggle with mental health? Yes. So you can leave now if you want, but that's the answer. Yes. <laughs> but I'd love to just pray for our time this morning. I'd love you to join with me in prayer. I'd love you if this is something that just, wow, that's me, or somebody in my family, somebody online watching right now, somebody out in the plaza. I want you to just be able to go and hear good news today. I want you to find rest today. I want you to find freedom today. And God wants all those things too. I'm theologically convinced of it this morning. So would you pray with me to that end? God, I love that we just celebrated last week in the resurrection that we would be people most pitied among men if it wasn't for your rising and conquering death that we could say, oh, hell, where is your victory? Oh, oh, death, where is your sting? That we have life and we have you and we have your spirit that's a sealed promise of the inheritance that awaits us. And yet we find ourselves, God, at times with all these issues in life and the realities of in a fallen world and living it out that faith can be messy and struggle is reality and doubt can creep in and anxiousness can creep in and depression and traumas and yet we rest in the good news of the resurrected savior that is our hope that we lift our eyes to this morning And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do what only you can in these moments, that whatever said and whatever studied this morning, that it would please your heart, that we would get to see your character on display and walk away more free, more light, more trusting that you are God in all things, in all situations, that you're not surprised or shaken or confused, but you're ruling and reigning, and yet for those in Christ, you're in us, and we're in you this morning. And there's safety and security in that. And so we come to you now, and we cling to you, that we bring our full selves to you this morning. And trust that you want to bring health and healing and life in the fullest in our lives today. So do now what you can. And we'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Not a doctor not a counselor not a therapist but i did consult two christian counselors in our church and my wife who's a nutritional therapist so I'll use a little bit of terminology but i'm not going to talk about like neural pathways and all those kinds of things although they're beautiful if you read about them they create more worship and awe of how god's made our bodies and i'm really excited about that but i thought can we answer the question can i be a christian and struggle with mental health what does mental health mean so we should probably start with the definition It's kind of a buzzword. It probably means a lot of things. And so how can we answer it if we don't know what we're trying to answer? So the first is this. Here's the definition according to the National Institute of Mental Health. Mental health is an emotional, psychological, and social well-being in which an individual is able to use his or her cognitive and emotional capabilities to function in society and meet the ordinary demands of everyday life. I'm convinced that God cares about our emotional, psychological, and social well-being. And so can I be a Christian and struggle with that, or have that, yes. As we think about dysfunctions in that ordinary demands of life, we see two that are most prevalent in our society, and that's anxiety and depression. And those come through situations and certain factors, and there's three primarily that we'll focus on, or just draw your attention to. And one is, there's a biological reason for that, there's a brain chemistry thing that's happening inside of our brains. Second is there's a circumstantial. So for some of us, we say anxiety and depression, yeah, I get anxious when I had to turn in a test and write my paper or a big project at work, or, or maybe Easter was a really uncomfortable situation that you had to go interface with family that you didn't really want to see and, and chow down some ham together and just go, when can we leave? There was a lot of anxiety. Circumstantial can also be abuse or trauma that's in our lives. And there's a ton of abuse and trauma in this room, just statistically. You don't walk away unscathed from this life. The wrongs that we've done and the wrongs that have been done to us affect our emotional, psychological, and social well-being. And the third is relational. We might have a family history of mental illness that impacts us. I come from a family of addiction, and so, there are certain practices in my life that it's not a theological conviction, it's just a practical reality that I avoid. Because if that's in me somewhere, let's not awaken that guy. Make sense? Three factors. Anxiety and depression, also big words, so I just want to give the definitions to them. Again, National Institute of Mental Health. Anxiety is excessive feeling of worry. Symptoms can include feeling overwhelmed, nervous, a fear of a perceived threat or danger, of either realistic or fantasized, There's good in anxiety when it's in right functioning. If a bear ran into this room, you better feel a little anxious. You want that cortisol to kick in and those adrenal glands and to get up and run, baby, run. It's good. In disorder, it's excessive. Even about a or or perceived threat. Depression. And it's an excessive feeling of hopelessness or worthlessness. There's times where depression comes in, we lose a loved one. You've had a child and now you're, you're having postpartum depression. Your body has done something chemically that you're processing for you ladies. There's situational things, but the excessive feeling of it, the lingering low and sadness and, and hopelessness, the loss of energy, or now it's worst or most extreme, thoughts of death and suicide. There's some in our community this morning that have a hard time getting out of bed, and it's not because they're lazy. There's a lingering low that's kept them there. Statistics say that one in five of us struggle with anxiety. So it's about one person in every family unit. So I'm guessing somebody in your life is one of those one in five. Depression, there's 21 million people in the United States that suffer from depression that is considered an extreme depression, which is a prolonged depression of two weeks or more. Lingering low, sadness, worthlessness, feeling suicidal, or just wanting to die. So I'm so excited to bring good news to that, to the one in five this morning. If it's not you, it's somebody in your family, it's somebody that you're caring for, who love deeply and can relate to. And so the good news that's communicated this morning through Scripture and maybe some practical things that I'll give at the end, I hope, give us better tools how to care for our emotional, psychological, and social well-being for the ordinary stuff of life. Amen? I'm really excited to talk about this, too, because I'm the one in five in my family. I'm the one in five. See, most of my life I was kind of carefree, easygoing, laid back, Adventurous, hop on a plane and go anywhere. Drive in a car and go 20 hours, and have a buddy trade seats with me. And that was my life. As a musician, and I traveled, and I loved the idea of traveling. I'd be in front of people all the time, and be in front of 10,000 people, and I loved it. I was fun and adventurous with, as a dad, and carefree, and would play and be silly, and get on my knees and in my hands, and build Legos and build forts, and And one day in 2016, I was in the gym. And I was in the peak performance of my life. I was in a thriving church that was fun and satisfying. I was loving my time in Scripture and my time with the Lord. And I had what I thought was hyperventilating in the gym. I overexerted myself and I couldn't calm my heart rate down, I couldn't catch my breath literally dumped water on my body, and that didn't help, and I tore off my shirt, and I just left the pile of weights and water in the gym, and I was like, somebody's got to deal with that. I walked outside, and, ah, ah, Whew. Man, I overdid it today. And in the next six years, what transpired is severe panic attacks that I would lay my head on my pillow, and my heart rate would jump to what I thought was like running a marathon. The simple task of standing in line at Disneyland with my kids was overwhelming and I'd have to get out of line. I'd literally get out of a a ride because I couldn't stomach the thought of going through a dark tunnel or being trapped in there and I had to get out. The thought of sitting on a plane and even going to do things for ministry was debilitating. I'd call my wife and say, I don't know if I can get on this plane. I don't know if I can do it. I want to bring good news. I want to be with these people, but I don't know if I can do it. I would cry. I would wake up crying and my body was just freaking out. I had no context for what was happening. I had no theological understanding of, I thought anxious was like, hey, well, calm down and maybe stop drinking caffeine so much. You know, Three Monsters Energies will do that to you, you know, but calm down. And then depression would come in because there was no context for what I was feeling. And then that would create a spiral. I'm anxious about being depressed, and I'm depressed about being anxious. And then the cycle would go on and on and on. Maybe you can relate. I don't share that this morning so that you can now, for the next 20 minutes, go like, poor Dom. But I share that because I'm the one in five, and maybe you are too. And maybe for the first time in your life, like this morning, somebody who is just struggling in their faith, they said, I've never heard a pastor talk about that. It's been the case for my whole family. And I had no hope. And the church was so unhelpful in talking about what was going on in our lives. Hope that that it can bring hope. I'm not standing here as a person who now goes, I've been delivered and saved. I'm here standing as a person who says I found tools and help to promote my healing and function in the everyday stuff of life. There are still things on a daily basis that I go, man, I'm going to put on a yellow shirt and stand in front of people and talk. A normally anxious thing, way more anxious if you struggle with anxiety. And so I'm convinced theologically that God cares about our mental health. And I'm convinced experientially that God has shown his care in a unique way that I could have never anticipated through the gift of having anxiety. And it's not a gift I would ever wish on anybody, but God has used it as a way to relate as we relate to understand and be dependent on Him. And I hope that you can see that today. Does that make sense? So if you're one in five, welcome. We're glad you're here. And if you're caring for the one in five, welcome. I hope you get tools to help them this morning. As we look at Scripture now, I encourage you, if you have paper or pixel, to turn to First Kings 19. And we'll look in a moment at somebody in Scripture who struggles with both anxiety and depression. But a couple instances that I want to just draw our attention to. What does Scripture say? Can a Christian struggle with mental health? Well, here's some examples in Scripture where we see that happening. The first is Martha. If you remember and know Scripture, you see Martha and Mary are sisters, and Martha loves the Lord and is serving the Lord, and she's actually busy around getting the house prepared and food ready to serve Jesus and the guests. And she says this prayer, well, it's been my prayer at least, Lord, don't you care? She was busy serving and burdened with it. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the serving by myself? Tell her to help me. And the Lord replied, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and worried about many things. There's no need. There's just one thing that your, your sister has chosen. It's the better thing. And that is this, to sit at the feet of Jesus. But she's anxious and worried with many things. The next we see Job, and Job is a man who's righteous, more righteous than anyone that's lived, and and suddenly he has everything taken away from him. He loses his family members minus his wife. He loses all his personal belongings. He has struck in with uh, uh, physical disorders and disease, and he cries the honest prayer, and he says, not many songs written by this one, but, cursed is the day that I was born. Why did I not die? Come forth from the womb and expire. Why is the light given to him who suffers and life bitter to the soul who long for death, but there is not? I'm not at ease. I'm not quiet. I'm not at rest. Turmoil comes. Depressed to the point of wanting death. We have David whose Scripture says that he's a man's after God's own heart. He's an anointed king and, and yet he's running from Saul for years before he takes over as king and he pens Psalm 13 and he starts with this phrase. He says, How long, O oh Lord? Maybe some of you have prayed that this morning. How long, O oh Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? He goes on and says, I've cried all my tears and my bones are dry, and how long? We see finally He Man. Not He-Man like you grew up with if you are a child of the 80s like me, but He-Man with the six-pack and She-Ra. Not that, but He-Man, devout follower of Jesus. You can read about him, or of the Lord. Uh, you can read about him in Chronicles. But he pens Psalm 88, and it's maybe one of the few psalms that never concludes with, and God, you're great. He ends with the finale, darkness has become my only companion. People who loved Yahweh, who loved Jesus, and yet are struggling with anxiety, worry, depression are prevalent throughout Scripture. And as we turn our attention now to a hero of the faith, Elijah, in 1 Kings 19. For context, Elijah has had amazing miracles happen in his life. of have seen this abundance of food and provision and come into his life. And, and, and he has this moment right before this chapter that we read that he is on a mountain, Mount Carmel, and he defeats 850 Baal prophets. Baal, this, a, a lesser God, challenging God, Yahweh. And they go into this match of epic proportions. And in this match, fire comes down from the sky so that all would know that Yahweh is Lord. And they slay the 850 Baal prophets and everyone chants, Yahweh is Lord, Yahweh is Lord. And Elijah should have come off that high and been like, nothing's going to take me down. And yet, when the king and his wife hear the news of what has happened, we see Elijah do something counter to that. Verse 1, read with me if you have scripture. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. And so Jezebel, his wife, sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. The rational response would have been, Bring it on, 851, I got you. No big deal. Yahweh is Lord. Fire from the sky. Good luck with that, Jezebel. Instead, at the news of this, verse 3, Elijah was afraid. Say, Elijah was afraid. Decent, okay. And he ran for his life. Not only did he run for his life, but he runs 170 miles from Mount Carmel to Beersheba. And then from there... He leaves his servant and goes on a day's journey which is about another 20 miles by himself. No car, no Uber, no bicycle. He was just running. Can you imagine the strain and the stress of a 200-mile distance run? Fearing for your life. She's going to get me. She's going to get me. She's gonna... The anxiety that comes in. In physiological terms, his his sympathetic system has kicked in. It's our fight, flight, or freeze system that kicks in. It's where cortisol is produced in our body, and I keep touching my legs because that's where our adrenal glands are. And adrenaline kicks in, and his heart rate's running, and he's running. And he's in that spiral. If she's going to get me, she's going to get me for 200 miles. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I'm dead. I'm dead. I'm dead. I'm dead. And he finally gets to on his own. He's walked 20 miles now, and he says this in verse four. He sits under a broom tree and he prays that he might die. A prophet of God, a hero of faith, prays that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors, meaning all my ancestors that have passed and are dead. That's where I want to be too. And then in exhaustion, and fatigue, and overwhelmed, and disappointment, and sadness, and anxiety, he passes out and he lays down under the tree and falls asleep. The cortisol is gone. The adrenals have done their job, and he's fatigued. He's cried. He's wrestled with the Lord. He's begged for death. And he falls asleep. And all at once, verse 5, an angel touches him. Hebrews, literally, he shakes him and says, get up and eat. And he looked around, and at his head, there was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate and drank, and then he laid down again. I'd always read that in previous times and just thought, that's cool. An angel brings him food. Why is that so important in scripture i'm talking to my nutritionist wife it's well that's the parasympathetic system dom if the sympathetic is your fight or flight your parasympathetic is your rest and digest system and it actually helps as you rest and digest to then be able to receive information if you're in a panic and i'm gonna die i'm gonna die i'm gonna die you can't hear good news if everything's okay so quite literally, God in his providential provision brings Elijah what he needs, a snack and some rest. Hydrate, eat, and take a nap. If you're a young parent, we heard that news growing up. When your kid's throwing a fit, give him a snack and give him a nap. And here Elijah, the prophet, the man of God who just defeated 850 prophets, gifts Elijah with the gift of rest and of a snack. He looks around. Again, he falls asleep, and then an angel again shakes him again and says, get up, verse 6. He looked around, and there was a cake ahead. Uh, uh, There was uh, bread again for the journey that was ahead, and he says, eat this so that you can be strengthened to travel for 40 days and 40 nights until you reach Horeb, the mount of God. So he eats again, and then for 40 days he goes on this journey, and he's still fearful and he's still depressed. He's still anxious about Jezebel. And he's not convinced by the promise and provision of the snack and rest that he's okay. 40 is an interesting number in Scripture. It's in the number of testing. And he's in the same place where Moses was going to Mount Horeb, or known as Mount Sinai. He's walking and he's ruminating. he finds a cave and he rests there interesting little side note is that some think it might be the same cave where moses met with god whether that's true or not he's in a cave he's depressed he's anxious and god meets him there verse 9 and the word of the lord came to him and it said what are you doing here elijah what a question what you doing here buddy baby boy now that you've had a snack and a nap you found a cave and some shelter what are you doing here not harsh not angry but just what are you doing one person sent you in this spiral you've seen my power you just had this incredible victory and yet you're anxious and depressed about one word what are you doing here? And Elijah's response is interesting. He says, well, I've been very zealous for the Lord, and the Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've broken down all the altars. There's, there's just nothing good happening right now. They've put your prophets to the sword, and I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me, too. That's why I'm here. They're trying to kill me. Nothing good has happened. As somebody who struggles with anxiety and depression, I'll tell you that that is an irrational thought. You can start believing a lie and convincing it and ruminating on that. It's never going to get better. It's never going to get better. It's never going to get better. I'm going to die. She's going to kill me. She's going to kill me. It's never going to get better. It's never going to get better. God, why I'm here is that there's nothing good happening. You haven't done anything. You haven't shown up. And it's irrational because in chapter 19, you'd see that Obadiah, who's characterizes a devout follower, has hid a hundred prophets in caves. Elijah is not only the only one not left, there's a hundred at least that we know hiding in caves. He's not alone, but he feels very alone in this moment. Elijah, why are you here? I'm here because I'm going to die. It'd be better if you would just take me. And God's response is interesting. He says this in verse 11. The Lord says, go out and stand on a mountain. Elijah, come meet me on a mountain. Different than the mountain you were just on at Mount Carmel. This is just for me and you. That was quite a spectacle on Mount Carmel with 850 prophets cutting themselves and chanting for Baal to make it rain. And there was quite a match to see the fire come down from the sky and literally lick up the water drops that surrounded the bull that had been sacrificed. But for this one, it's just for me and you, buddy. Come and meet me on the mountain. And in the mountain, in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is going to pass by you. Not only have I resourced you with rest and food and water, now I'm going to show you my presence. In my presence on this mountaintop is where I'm going to show you perfect peace. In this moment, I'm going to show you who I am, the all-powerful Almighty. And so there's a powerful wind that tore through the mountain and apart, and it shattered the rocks and before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, and then the earthquake came, and then fire, just like it had done, but neither of those were the Lord, and he wasn't in either of those. In verse 12, after the earthquake came the fire, and after the fire came a gentle whisper. In Hebrew, it's literally like ASMR, if you know what that is. It's just See, I'm showing you that the wind, I command that, like that. I'm all-powerful, I could do all things. The earthquake, I'm showing you, I have control of all the topography that's around you. Check it out. The fire, you've seen that trick, but I'll do that again so that you'll know that I'm all-powerful. I can command all things out of nothing. But for you, what you need is to know my gentle whisper. In New Testament language, we would say that Jesus is not only peace, he's the person of peace. That you know perfect peace in my presence. Elijah, what are you doing here? He says again. Elijah, now that you've seen my power on display, what was Jezebel's word to you compared to my voice and my presence? Why are you here? And Elijah's response is verbatim the same thing he said just a few verses before. I've been zealous for you. There's nothing going good. The altars have been torn down. They've killed everybody. They're going to kill me. If you struggled with anxiety or depression, you know that's ruminating thoughts. It's the script. Nothing's ever going to get better. Everyone's trying to kill me. Nothing's ever going to get better. And he just starts believing that. God in this moment does something so cool as we end the text. He he looks at this depressed and defeated and overwhelmed, anxious, prophet, man of God who by all accounts is known for his power and the mighty things that Elijah has done. And in defeat, disappointment, discouragement, God gives him a mission and says, Go. Go back the way you came. And go back the way you came because you have purpose. You're going to anoint the new and next generation of leaders. And there's one called Elisha, and he'll have a greater spirit and power than you will. And you'll have this sweet relationship with him. And Elijah's story ends with, he doesn't die, but... God just says, I want you to be with me. And he sends a chariot, he hops on the chariot, and he's no more. That's what Scripture says. The cool part about Elijah is this, is that everything that we know about Elijah is he's a man of faith. New Testament talks about in the power of Elijah is how John the Baptist came. In the spirit of Elijah is is Jesus Elijah? Is John the Baptist Elijah because he's known for this power and might? He's one that prayed. He was a man who was just like us, but he prayed, and when he prayed, rain stopped for three and a half years, and he prayed again, and then it rained. The power of Elijah. And this moment in time in his life did not define him or his ministry. And the same is true for us today. If you're the one in five, It doesn't define you. It's not who you are. Can you struggle with it and be a Christian? Yes, because your identity is not your emotion. Your identity is who Christ says you are. Emphatically, he did it by dying on the cross, being buried, and raising again so that we might have new life. That's who you are. And you're a child of God, most high, Beloved of the King, because that's what he said, I would have never come up with those words for myself. But that's what he says about you and me, for those in Christ this morning. As we turn our attention to the end of just some practical tips and five things of good news for us today. Proverbs 12 says this is that anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. And so five good words or good news for you this morning that are true for all of us, whether you are struggling today, caring for somebody today, or just struggling with the ordinary stuff of life. First is this, is that you're loved. You're deeply loved. You're so loved that as we celebrated Good Friday and Easter, that for God so loved the world that he'd give his son, his only begotten, his most precious, that you and I might have life, an everlasting life. That he demonstrated his love with the outstretched arms on the cross for us and saying to that depth that's how much i love you two you're not alone again i share my story not so that you can meditate on that but just to know that you're not alone in this room or online or outside if you're struggling today you're not alone and there's hope but also, just how Elijah and the Lord met in this cave, even better now. We don't have to wait for earthquake or wind or fire, but we're in Christ for those in Christ Jesus. He's the hope of glory inside of us. And we're in him this morning, and we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, the wonderful counselor. as something that's a down deposit on the inheritance that awaits. You're not alone. He's with you. He's in you. Next. God cares for you. 1 Peter 5 reminds us that you can cast all anxiety on him because he cares for you. I'm convinced that he cares about the smallest details of your life this morning. He watches as you slumber and is working even as you do that. If you're struggling today, you can cast all care on him because he cares for you. Next. God uses all things for good. I've heard this in the church, and I just want to make sure that we hear what I'm saying right. It's Romans 8, and it's true. God cares. God has all things and works all things for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. But the all stuff of life isn't just the stuff that you and I like or that we would select on our own. All things means all things, the really messy things in our life. He uses all those things. The wrongs we've done and the wrongs that have done to us, he uses all of those things. So if you believe that and are theologically convinced that he does that, then all things means all things. Finally, this doesn't define you. Emotions are temporary. So don't make lifelong, systemic categorizations about you and your life. They don't define you. It's been a long six years that I shared in just a few minutes. For some of you, it's been a long 20 years, 30 years. It's been a long month as there's something new in your life happening. But it doesn't define you. Let's make sure our identity is found in who we are and whose we are instead of what we're feeling and experiencing in this moment. Amen to that? A couple of things as the band comes up. Here's top 10. You can Google it and blame Google if you don't like the list. I think they're very theological, and they've been very practical things in my own time of recovery and healing. The first is to pray. And I don't mean that like how we've heard it in the church of just pray more. Pray more and pray the right prayer. I mean that in the sense of a neurological, it's actually a right thing. Science is caught up with what God has said in Scripture. There are studies that show that if you pray for 12 minutes a day for eight weeks, your brain function can show up on a scan of your brain as completely altered in the prefrontal cortex. Prayer does something neurologically to us as well as spiritually to us. So if you're one in five or struggling with anxiety or depression or mental health, you pray. The next is sleep. We saw it with Elijah. If you haven't slept and aren't sleeping, you can't hear the five good newses that I just gave you. I had a friend who, uh, he he struggled. He didn't know he needed a CPAP machine. And the doctor came in there and he's like, oh, so I'm going to rest better. And he's like, I just want to tell you, Dave, that you haven't been in right mental health for years like your sleeping hasn't it hasn't just kind of hindered your functioning you haven't been functioning sleep is healing and restorative to us exercise nutrition hydration breath breathing exercises have been a healing thing for me it's, i love that god's first act of shaping man as he breathes life into him and with that same breath now we get to breathe that back and forth be still and know i'm god I breathe that breath back to you. Practice gratitude. Sounds very scriptural to me. Stay connected. It's what we just hired a pastor so you could stay connected. We love that. We're so excited for that. We believe that life is better when you move from these rows into circles and do life on life with people. Take time to laugh. I love what that does neurologically for us. When's the last time you laughed? Go have some fun. In the moments of low, in the moments of anxiety, to take a breath and laugh. Dance it off. Praise God for dance it off. Something happens physiologically and neurologically when you're in the kitchen and you just put on little, like, whatever it is, Malgreen for you, and you dance it off. Make those eggs for God's glory while you dance it off. And finally, practice forgiveness. The wrongs that have been done to us, the traumas, the abuse that you might have experienced in life. We find that forgiveness is actually more healing for us than maybe for them. Maybe that person that has wronged you isn't even alive to ask for forgiveness. So would you practice forgiveness? This doesn't heal everything, but it's a start. And I leave you with this. A great quote from a a pastor, Craig Groeschel. He says, getting help isn't a sign of weakness. It's a sign of wisdom. If you're in a place where dancing it off doesn't just quite do it, would you go find a therapist? if you're in a place where laughing it off doesn't help get you out of bed, would you talk to your doctor and come up with a plan? Maybe that's medication. Maybe that's a totally different path that you and your doctor can talk about. But what I'm convinced and so thankful for is I didn't believe the lie that my life and my family would have been better without me here. And I want the same for you. And I want the same for your loved ones and your family. So can a Christian struggle with mental health? Emphatically, yes. Would you pray with me? Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for truth that we can find in Scripture. Thankful that there's Scripture that speaks to all the things of life. Truly, we're not alone as we look back through ages and generations to see if people struggling and wrestling and not having perfect lives and and yet, you change names and you change destinies and you give fresh starts and you still do that and so we cling to that today I do pray for those struggling this morning God that would you in your mercy break through in dark places would you bring light in nervous places would you bring calm and peace would you heal as a great physician in a way that you can and would you give wisdom and boldness and encourage to take a step to seek help and healing in Jesus' name Amen we're going to go to the table now and celebrate communion and I'm going to invite you to stand if you would on the night that Jesus was betrayed he shares a meal with his disciples and he says this is my body given for you take and eat and he says this is my cup represents some blood and the blood of the new covenant and as we take and celebrate we don't do so as people in mourning we do so as people of victory we do so as people of hope and healing and rescue that as you drink of the newness you might not feel new today but the reminder that you've been made new because of Christ the reminder that you may feel like not a saint but you've become a saint because you're in Christ and that's who he says you are as you eat and drink and celebrate the sacrifice and the victory that we do now at the table.
1: What an amazing message here for us today to be encouraged by. So Dom, thank you for sharing with your transparency and just honesty. And I think that's a message that we need um, as a church. And uh, I want to just encourage you with a couple things. First is this. Um, If this really resonated with you today and you say, I do need help. I need someone to talk with. Um, There's different levels of that, but we want to help you with it. We even have um, access to some life coaching. So sometimes it's just you just need someone to help you get a couple steps down the road. Um, You can uh, reach out to us uh, through that Connect card or or talk to one of us individually. Uh, Please do not try to go on this journey of life alone. Um, And so if you want someone to help you find the right help, we want to do that for you. Uh, So please reach out. The other thing is this is you know, I was thinking of those five truths that uh, Dom shared, and if you were one of those one in five today, and uh, we have been praying for you, and pray that God is encouraging your heart, and giving you a little bit of hope where you're at, and uh, if maybe you're more like uh, some of us, um, this has been a journey for For me to be um, a supporter of one of the one in five, and and many of us, you know, maybe it's family members or friends or whatever, and uh, we can be a part of that too. And and remember, uh, hopefully that helps us have more understanding, more compassion, but also know what's our role in helping people remember that they're loved, that they're not alone, that they're cared for, and that God can use that, and that. Whatever struggled is, isn't what defines them. So even for maybe some of you, there's a stigma or a frustration that you have with others around you. And we want to give you the freedom that you are in someone's life for a reason. And uh, you have a role and an honor to be able to love and walk alongside the people.